Hi, this is Pastor Emily McGinley from Urban Village Church, Hyde Park, Woodlawn. If you've been to UVC, you'll know that we seek to be three things, bold, inclusive, and relevant. We know that there are countless folks across the country and out there in podcast land like yourself, seeking a message that will bring insight, hope, encouragement, and joy as we do this thing called faith. Please consider making a financial gift to help us with this work of inspiring, equipping, and sending out agents of gospel life and inclusive love. Just go to www.urbanvillagechurch.org forward slash give. Thanks for listening, and God bless. Our passage today comes from Matthew 26, verses 6 through 13. Listen for what God is saying. When Jesus was at Bethany visiting the house of Simon, who had a skin disease, a woman came to him with a vase made of alabaster, containing very expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' head while he was sitting at dinner. Now when the disciples saw it, they were angry and said, Why this waste? This perfume could have been sold for a lot of money and given to the poor. But Jesus knew what they were thinking. He said, Why do you make trouble for the woman? She's done a good thing for me. You always have the poor with you, but you won't always have me. By pouring this perfume over my body, she's prepared me to be buried. I tell you the truth, that wherever in the whole world this good news is announced, what she's done will also be told in memory of her. May God add a blessing to the hearing and living out of the scripture. Please join me in a word of prayer. God, we thank you for the gift of your word and and the ways that it communicates truth across space and time, the ways that it helps us to understand you and ourselves and one another in new ways. And so we pray that in this moment that you would clear away the clutter of our hearts and our minds to help us focus and, and hear, maybe even in spite of ourselves, what it is that you're trying to say to us, that we might be changed for the better, made more whole for a world that needs more whole people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. What do you do when your heart is so full you feel like it might burst? When you're so overwhelmed with emotion and beauty and love that there's just no way to keep it all inside? How do you bottle it up and keep composed when everything about your being strains against the seams of what everyone tells you is good and right and proper? What happens when you can no longer keep your emotions contained? You end up winning the basketball game of your life and letting go of your pride long enough to try again. You end up standing outside of bedroom windows holding boom boxes that declare your love, giving up your citizenship and privacy to enter a very public family where you'll constantly be reminded of your otherness, pouring wildly expensive perfume over someone who has restored your humanity. In our passage for today, we see this unnamed woman who is so overcome by her feelings of gratitude and joy for Jesus that she can no longer contain herself to do what is right and proper. A wealthy woman, Luke calls her a woman of the city, very presumptuous, while John identifies her as Mary, the sister of Martha and Lazarus. But Matthew, Matthew just sticks with the basics. This woman hears that Jesus is spending time in the home of a man named Simon, a leper. She gets her coins together and makes a plan, 
arriving at dinner time with this bottle of expensive perfume. And it's an extravagant gift that feels a little more than a little out of place for a radical revolutionary who claims that his ministry and movement are all about the poor and the oppressed. I mean, obviously, these kinds of luxuries are out of line with his mission and values. Anyone who has spent any time with Jesus knows that he's not preaching a prosperity gospel, at least in the financial sense. His closest followers know this, and so not only are they scandalized, they're angry. Who does this woman think she is? Who does she think Jesus is? We're out here making change, not dollars, right? And you might be tempted to say, hey, fellas, no, simmer down, right? You don't need to get all up in arms about this. But I think, to be fair, they've got a point. This is an expensive perfume, and a lot of it is just getting spilled out. It could go to support other programs and people, a lot of them maybe, And in many ways, so they are, I think, totally in line with what Jesus taught them. And to add to that, right, this is happening during the Passover, which is a time, a holiday, when it is especially important to increase your care for the poor. So it feels kind of like this woman is totally out of line with their values and maybe even disrespecting them. So then why does Jesus shut them down? Well, there are a few reasons. The first comes from scholars who say that there was this kind of ongoing debate among rabbis about which was more important, giving money to the poor or burying the dead. And you might disagree, but basically they decided that caring for the dead was more important. It might seem weird, but the ongoing, the the kind of reasoning that was behind that was that while giving to the poor was an important ongoing work, caring for the dead was a very specific time-bound way of caring for your community. It demanded your presence and involvement in a way that throwing money at a problem doesn't. Another way to think about it is that caring for the dead forces you to get close to the pain and grief of this world. And this is the heart work of what makes relationships and community so vital, right? The, The relationships that you have that are the deepest and strongest are the ones where people showed up when you are saturated in grief and pain. So when Jesus says, she's done a good thing for me, you will always have the poor with you, but you won't always have me, and by pouring this perfume over my body, she's prepared me to be buried, he's not saying that the poor are unimportant or even less important, but that it's more about keeping our priorities in order. In the midst of our ongoing justice work, we cannot forget the heart work of our our work, right? The heart of our work. Relationship building for healing communities and people and the way that we build life together, which is another way to say systems. And that last piece, how we build our life together, systems, can be so much of our focus that we actually forget the relational piece, which was the lens through which Jesus saw this woman. He saw himself first in relationship with her, and that was, that was his lens of interpretation when he, she comes to him at dinner, right? Because, and this is the second reason I think that Jesus shuts them down, because this woman was offering him a gift. Now, gifts are gifts. I had a good friend who had been a vegetarian for years, and she was accepted into a volunteer program where she would be engaged in ministry partnerships in Argentina. Now, she was thrilled to go to a Latin American um, country where she could practice her Spanish. She was excited to explore different cultures and meet new people. But she also knew that if she went, she couldn't be a vegetarian anymore, at least for the year that she was there, because Argentines love to eat beef. 
If she was going to be a guest in Argentina, she knew that an integral aspect of being a guest includes eating meat in people's homes, meals that featured all manner of beef, right? <laughs> and as in many cultures, being a good guest, right, means eating the food that people serve you, medical necessities notwithstanding, right? Now, she could dig in and refuse to eat the beef that she was served. She could even try to educate folks on the environmental toll or the health impact of eating beef. And her host might smile politely and nod as she yammered on, right? But chances are, if she did that, there was a high possibility that she would be perceived as rude, ungrateful, and possibly even hurtful. People might think that she thought she was better than them. A meal offered is a kind of gift. And even though she had completely legitimate reasons behind her vegetarian commitments, these principles were not going to translate well to the folks who were welcoming her into their home and into their lives for the first time. Our commitment to principles can so easily lead us to become brittle, judgy, insensitive, or even mean. And in some ways, I think that's what was happening in all the other disciples around the table. Right? Jesus saw this, saw their judgment, saw their anger, their self-righteousness. And so it was all the more important that he kept the first thing first, relationships and hospitality. Systems serve people, not the other way around. Jesus knew that this woman was offering him a gift, and he received it. Yes, it's true. It's a lavish gift that was worth a lot of money and could have been used in a different way. But she was offering this, not as a power play or as a display of her wealth, right? But as a gift. And even more than that, it was, it was more than a gift. It was an act of faithful devotion. And this brings me back to that first set of questions. What do you do when your heart is so full you feel like it might burst? When you're so overwhelmed with emotion and beauty and love that there's just no way to keep it all inside? Well, here's the thing. I don't know, I don't think that this woman knew that Jesus was going to die. I just don't think she knew it. Even his followers who were hearing him talk all the time didn't really get what he was dropping for them, right? I don't think she knew that he was going to die. And while it was a gift, I don't think that's the whole story. This woman, I think, was so overwhelmed by the magnitude and beauty of what Jesus was doing in the world that she was overflowing with love. Her gift was an act of devotion, an act of worship. And acts of beauty, of devotion, of deep purpose, these are expressions of the heart-centered folks on the Enneagram. Now, last week, Ellie gave a great overview of the different centers, focusing especially on the folks that tend to be more gut-centered, those who move from their instincts, who act in the moment, people like John the Baptist, right? Those folks who are the ones who feel the immediacy and urgency of now. Now, heart-centered people, helpers and achievers and individualists, heart-centered people tend to feel the sense of meaning, value, and preciousness of our lives intensely. They are attuned to the people around them, and they feel this deep sense of connection and relationship. Now, when heart-centered folks are healthy and balanced, they have this profound sense of identity rooted in God, I would say, as Christians, and they seek to offer good and beautiful and useful things to the world around them. This is the space that our unnamed woman moved from in our passage today. 
But here's the thing about the Enneagram, and the very thing that, that is your gift can end up becoming your stumbling block if you don't do your work. And this is why I think the Enneagram um, can be a useful tool for personal and spiritual growth. It is not an indictment on who you are. It doesn't tell you what your fate is, right? It doesn't uh, declare your sentence, your, you know, your case closed, but it is a way for you to understand yourself better, right? That's kind of the place that, it's, that it can serve. So for heart-centered people, uh, because they're so attuned to the world and the people around them, it can be easy for them to lose their sense of identity um, when they become anxious or fearful or stressed. They start trying to read the people around them rather than kind of knowing who they are and where they are. So helpers, people who tend to be helpers, can lose their sense of self in helping other people so much that their self-offering ends up leading to codependency. They move toward behaviors that are manipulative, insecure, overly accommodating, and if you're an, if you're a, an outgoing person, tend to be overly de demonstrative in everything. Look at me, look at how I'm helping everyone, right? They can, and then they can become resentful of all the ways that they're pouring out. Why isn't anyone doing anything for me, right? So achievers, the number three, become so wrapped up. They're, they're, uh, they're achievers, right? <laughs> so they're people who do. Uh, they can become so wrapped up in offering something good and purposeful in the world that they begin to measure their self-value by their success and focus so much on, their, on building their personal brand um, because they want to make sure that they are seen in a particular light. And so at their worst, they can be dishonest, not just with other people, but actually with themselves. Achievers have a hard time of, of recognizing where they actually are. What do, they, what do I feel? Because I'm so focused on how other people are feeling, right? They can become pretentious, vindictive, and overly competitive. Individualists, uh, often uh, in, uh, artists and, and kind of deep feeler types and expressors um, uh, are individualists. They become so absorbed with depth and meaning, so wrapped up in their unique offering to the world and their unique self that they start comparing themselves to the people around them. And at worst, they can become jealous and envious of the people around them. They can become guilt-ridden or moralistic. They can become withdrawn. Now, for all of the heart-centered people, at the base of it all is this deep desire to be loved, to be valued and loved. That's why you do all these things, right? You're working and working and working. Please love me. And that looks like, what, what love really looks like in the practical sense, right, is being seen and belonging to a community. Regardless of, of which heart-centered heart person you might be, um, when you begin to find yourself operating out of the shadow sides of your gift, and it is a gift, um, what happens for all of the types, but especially heart-centered folks because you feel so deeply, what happens is that you become overcome by shame and get locked into it. And that sense of shame just compounds your fear and anxiety. Now, most of us have experienced shame in one way or the other, and generally it feels awful, right? <laughs> because so often, shame is tied to things like not belonging, not being loved, not being worthy of being in relationships. But, you know, thank God for God, right? Because God keeps the first things first. Jesus always keeps the first things first, which is what we see in our passage today. Relationship and hospitality are Jesus' primary modes of doing ministry. And this is good news for us. When we're feeling overcome with shame, when we feel like we have lost our sense of self, no matter how deep of a hole we have dug ourselves into, God is there. God is there, ready with an open invitation, eager to welcome us back. 
Jesus wasn't interested in purity politics, right? He wanted relationships where people could experience belonging and healing and restoration, wholeness of life for all, so that they could go on to then become invitation givers, right? That they could go on to become agents of wholeness of life for all. Where in life do you need to receive God's invitation to belong? Where do you feel like you don't belong? What part of yourself do you believe that you feel is unlovable? That part of yourself that you hide away and wouldn't dare share with anyone? What part of you lives in alienation, fear, anxiety, or shame? Jesus sees you. Jesus sees all of you and receives you just as you are. Because God knows that your gift, whether it is helping, achieving, or being an individualist or something else altogether, that gift, which can get twisted into harmful behaviors, that gift is also the very same place where our life-increasing, love-expressing behaviors can flow from if we would allow ourselves to be held, healed, and set free. Whether it is an unnamed woman who reminds Jesus of how loved he is, she reminded him that he was loved. Or a guy like John the Baptist who fights for integrity. This world is hungry and waiting to receive what your wholest, fullest self has to offer. So open, open yourself up to honest and humble reflection, whether it's through the Enneagram or through something else altogether. Allow yourself, though, to be confronted with your shadow sides, to reflect on them, to wrestle with them, and find yourself changed by your journey of repair and restoration. Experience yourself bloom when you accept God's acceptance of you in the middle of all of your mess, right? An invitation to relationship and radical hospitality. Trade your shame for belonging, your anxiety for peace, your fear for love, and find yourself coming alive in ways you never imagined possible. Let's pray. God, we give you thanks that you see us for all of who we are, that you have gifted us in unique and common ways to offer something beautiful and true and right and good into the world. And when we fail, God, which is such a deep sense of fear for many of us, when we fail in doing that, help us to see that you are still there and that you invite us once again to do your work and that who we are and how we are does not correlate to your love for us. As we leave this space, as this time, help us to be people of courage, to lean into those spaces and ways that we are operating out of pain and harm so that you can do what is your work, so that we can do what is our work. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.